Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thanks for joining us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here. I'm the host, and I'm here with my dear friend, Frank Friedman. Man, it's good to record that last episode with you. I'm looking forward to today, Frank. I'm always looking forward to being with you and uh, talking about the truth of God and his very precious word that he gave to us. We need guidance to navigate through the world we live in, that's for sure. Oh, gosh. You know, I was thinking about that very thing. And the verse popped into my head. And Jesus says, the scriptures speak of me. And so I just opened my Bible and I was looking and I just opened anywhere at random. And I read a verse and I said, this has nothing to do with Jesus. <laughs> and so obviously I need the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to finding Jesus everywhere mm. in scripture. And so, yes, you are right. We do need his help because without it, as you've said so many times, we are brain dead. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, friend, we've been talking about suffering within the context of the book of Job. And last time we looked at Job for the first time as a guy. We looked at his godly character. We looked at his shepherd heart for his family, his trust in God. But today in the second half of that first chapter, Frank, the tenor is going to change a bit. And we're going to pull back the curtains, so to speak, to see something that very few books in Scripture give us a chance to see. The spiritual dynamic that's in play between God and Satan regarding us as believers. I'll be the first one to admit, for me, it's easy to look around, Frank. I look at my circumstances. I look at my world. I look at my life. And it's so easy to think, well, this is all there is. And the spiritual is just kind of out there somewhere, and it doesn't really relate to real life. I'm not even sure how much of it is true. So these thoughts run through everybody's minds. But this chapter we're going to see today shows just the opposite, that the spiritual world is more real than we can possibly understand, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. In fact, I think, John, if we go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about the unseen world and makes reference that it's more real than the physical world, more real than the world we live in. So it's definitely something we need to begin to lay hold of. The Holy Spirit puts it in there for our understanding. And we need to gain a glimpse into the fact that we have an enemy. And, you know, the, the Bible simply calls him the accuser. Well, we get to see him live that out right before our very eyes in the book of Job. Yeah. Well, let's dive right in, my friend, and begin with chapter one, verse six. And we'll start to unpack this dynamic spiritual interplay. It reads, now there was a day when the sons of God, the angels, presented themselves before the Lord. And of course, who was there but Satan? 
And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered and said, well, I'm going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I want to stop right there and sort of give a little bit of a tweak to that translation. The Lord is not throwing Job out there as a target to Satan. Hmm. More clearly, it would be something like this. Hey, I see you've been checking out my servant Job. There's none like him on the earth, is there? He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God and turns away from evil. So you've been checking him out. He's a pretty top-notch guy, isn't he? Mm. And so it's important to see right out of the box that God does not throw Job out there under the bus of Satan. He Mm -hmm. lifts him up as an example because he knows Satan is watching. Mm. There's no shortage of warnings in Scripture about really wanting to be teachers and become wise and, and raise our heads up. And become voices, because as soon as you do, man, you just become an attack, don't you? Mm. You know, you've experienced that personally. I know I have. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, it's interesting. I I think when we become Christians, we're not really informed that we are entering a battle. Most people present the gospel to somebody. They say, hey, if you'll accept Jesus and receive him, your sins will be forgiven and, and you'll be restored to God and you can go to heaven. And boy, well, where do I sign? Yeah, that worked for me. (laughs) And only afterwards do we learn, oh, yeah, by the way, you're stepping into a war, a battleground, an epic battle between light and darkness, good and evil, God and his enemy. And by the way, you're going to the front lines. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody prepares us for that, John. No, I'll be with you, but uh, you're going out (laughs) to the front lines. So let's pick up again in verse 9 and see how this exchange unfolds. Satan answers the Lord and says, does Job fear God for no reason? Haven't you put a hedge around him in his house and all that he has on every side? You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Oh, by the way, Frank, when I read through that earlier, it struck me that this might be one of the very few times in scripture that Satan speaks the truth. Yeah. (laughs) Every time he opens his mouth, he lies. But here he's saying, hey, yeah, look, you put a hedge around him. And in fact, he did. And everything that he put his hand to was blessed. His possessions have increased. Mm -hmm. But this is where the challenge comes in, where Satan says to God, hey, if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, I guarantee you he's going to curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Now, Frank, I got to stop right here and say, I don't like that. I'd much rather my father keep that hedge zipped up tightly, reinforced with the heaviest spines he can possibly get his hands on. But he doesn't. He says, okay, Mm -hmm. everything he has is yours, but do not stretch out your hand against him. So off Satan went. So, okay, man, so much to talk about here. So many things for which we don't have answers, but I'm going to ask you the million dollar question, pastor, seminary trained friend, why did God part the hedge and allow it? 
Well, right in scripture, he doesn't tell us. <laughs> One of the things I've learned over the years, John, is to say, I don't know. Uh, part of that is because I've come to learn that Satan told the truth in Genesis, too, when he said that when we eat from the tree, we shall be like God. And ever since that time, man thinks he's got to be strong and have it all together and have all the answers. Yeah. And we're not God. We're weak. We don't have all the answers. However, I think that we can see from the book of Job that this is a huge leap forward, that ultimately it was for Job to find God in a way he never knew him before because of what Job says at the end of the book. Yeah, He says, I used to hear about you, but now my eyes have seen. Now I get it. And we also know from the New Testament, from the book of James, the intent of all of this was good because God never tempts anyone with evil. So Satan will come at us with a circumstance trying to tempt us to get us to fall, to get us to curse God, where God will use the same circumstance to prove our faith, to stretch our faith, and to prove who he is and that he is the faithful one. And John, we did a study a couple of months back on Joseph, and we saw that spelled out for us in that incredible verse in Genesis 50, 20. Those evil brothers, obviously being led by Satan, meant pain for Joseph. God took the very same brothers, the very same pain they brought, the very same evil plan, but had a different ending and purpose in mind. And that's where my circuits begin to blow because he takes a wicked plan, uses the same plan, same actors, but as the master director of the universe, writes a different ending to the story. Yeah. But I got to imagine... When Joseph was going through it, there were a lot of questions, just like Job going through it. There's going to be some questions and we'll get to him asking those questions, I believe, yes. maybe today or next time. And so as I asked myself that same question, Frank, I also didn't have an answer, but my mind went to uh, maybe even a bigger question, which is why did he allow suffering in Jesus' life? And we talked about that some months ago as we began this series. And I want to remind our listeners, if they haven't listened to those podcasts, go back and check them out on the suffering of Jesus. And our father allowed suffering in Jesus' life to make him, of course, he was perfect. He was the son of God when he was born, but he had to become perfectly suited to be our Messiah, to be our high priest, to know what it's like to be tempted in every possible way and to say no. And so he used suffering in Jesus' life to make him ready for the ministry he had for him. And I got to believe, Frank, it's the very same thing in Job's life and in our lives, that when the suffering comes in, Father parts the hedge, he's really equipping us for a ministry or something in the future that we're not quite ready for just yet. And so getting back to the comment, that you made earlier that everything he allows is good, uh, that fits that. He gives us good gifts, even though, as you said last time, sometimes those gifts 
are wrapped in dark paper and we'd really rather not open them. Mm. John, that's exactly right. I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul got that thorn in the flesh. And it's interesting. He calls it a messenger of Satan. But in the same breath, he says it was given to me. And that's a huge word, given to me. It's like he is acknowledging that what Satan was meaning for evil in the context to slow him down, God was meaning for good because that thorn was going to keep him weak. And in his weakness, he would depend upon God. And in depending upon God, he would find strength uh, far beyond what he, his own resources would provide. So there again, that huge idea of, of God being the director, even in our suffering, to accomplish a greater glory for himself and a greater purpose in our lives. It's huge. Yes, it is. And Frank, as I look at the dynamic between Satan and God, just to remove us for the time being, my mind goes back uh, in my personal life to a time when my wife Terry and I attended a church where Satan seemed to be on the forefront. People were seeing him everywhere. There was a demon of nicotine and a demon of alcohol. And it was, I mean, he was just everywhere. And we had to struggle and fight. I think I shared a couple of episodes ago how distraught I was when I had prayed to receive healing from my hay fever. And I kept on sneezing. And the pastor told me, Will, you got to fight the devil. Don't let him steal your healing. And when I look at this interplay between Satan and God, I don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any power. Hollywood, and commercial television, they don't have anything right about our enemy. He's defeated. He does only what Father allows him to do, only to the extent Father allows him. And this is not a battle between God and Satan. This is simply that Father is using him and his nefarious and evil desires against us to work his purposes. And Frank, this changes our perspective of what the spiritual dynamic is really all about. It's not a war against the enemy. He's already defeated. Our struggle is, will we trust our father in the midst of what he has allowed into our lives as he's part of the hedge? That's really, as I see it, my friend, where our spiritual warfare is will we trust our father, hang on the ledge, grit our teeth and say, yes, sir, I trust you, even though I'm sweating. (laughs) Mm. And, you know, John, I think it'd be a good idea to point out what trust means. It really is the idea of confident assurance. It is belief. And I think we need to point that out because we do know from the New Testament that Satan is defeated. We know that Jesus spoiled the principalities and powers at his cross. He has conquered sin and death, but the enemy still has a weapon. And the weapon is the lie. 
And as we pointed out before in previous podcasts, John, he's extremely smart. He's extremely wise. As Stephen Davey once pointed out, there's not a single verse in the Bible that Satan lost any of his beauty when he fell. So he's slick and he comes as an angel of light and he offers up tailor-made deceptions to us based on our experience and our circumstances and our personal makeup. And if we believe those lies, they are called principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. So the scripture is teaching us that there is an authority to them, an organizational structure, and they have no power over us. But if we believe their lie, we give them power over us, the power of the lie. And that's where the problem comes in. And that's why it's so important to know the truth, believe the truth, stand in the truth. And that's what it means to trust God. That's our great weapon. If we just have to look at Jesus in the temptation accounts, Satan tempted him, tailor-made. He knew he was going to the cross and he offers Jesus, hey, you know, you don't have to get the kingdoms of the world that way. I'll give them to you. Just bow down to me. And every temptation, Jesus said what? It is written. And so Jesus believed his father. He believed the written word. And that was his weapon, his sword to do battle with the enemy. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do, Frank, if somebody offered me all the nations in the world. Oh, my goodness. Talk about being tempted beyond what any of us has ever ever experienced, and still he trusted his father. You know, you made a comment of how there's not a single bit of the glory and light of Lucifer that disappeared when he decided to rebel against God. So he comes at us as an angel of light. But it's interesting because when he appeared in the garden for the first time, it seemed to be a very open, honest, frank, friendly, warm, inviting, you choose the adjective, conversation with Eve. But the bottom line of that whole conversation is that Satan hated her just like he mm. hates us. And so mm. he masquerades as an angel of light, parading in front of us, as you said, perfectly tailored deceptions mm. to get our attention because he can't own us. We belong mm. to the king. We've been mm -hmm. transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son. And that can't be reversed. But if he can get us to veer our eyes away from our father and steer us more toward the sidelines than are using a football analogy. Now mm -hmm. you you'd recognize that my friend, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, taking <laughs> us out from the hash lines to the sidelines. If you can get us on the sidelines, he can't beat us. Mm -mm. He can't own us, but he can certainly make us less fruitful. Can't he? And that's, I think kind of what he's trying to do with Job. He's going to come across and try to get what his wife encourages him to do is just curse God and die, Job. Just get it over with. And I mm -hmm. got to believe that in some way, that's a pitiful victory for the enemy if we do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, John. And 
that's the one thing we can learn about him. He may be extremely deceptive, tailor-made, angel of light, comes offering life, you know, and that's the real heart behind the meaning of the word antichrist. It's not so much against us, though it is, it's instead of Christ. And he's not going to come to us and say, hey, I'm here to deceive you. <laughs> you <laughs> no, know? we wouldn't be deceived if that <laughs> no. were the case. Uh, but he, he offers up so much beauty in the process with that little bit of twist of lies. And that's the one thing we need to learn, can learn, should learn, is that though the temptations he offers may differ, the methodology is always the same. It's a beautifully wrapped package or a beautiful crisp apple that's filled with poison because of a little twist of a lie somewhere that will bring death instead of life because it's a lie instead of truth. Yeah. And it doesn't take much of a lie. Mm. Does it? It certainly yeah. doesn't. Well, he can't own us, but he can steer us toward the sidelines. If he can get us to doubt God, but you know, Frank, none of that really was in play with Job. As far as we can tell, there was no interaction between Job and Satan, except for Satan to be watching him. God just parts the hedge, and as we'll see next time, ba-boom, everything just descends on Job. So while the temptations we've been talking about and the perfectly tailored deceptions are real, they're not the only way he works against us, is it? No. Uh -uh. I can't help but as you reflect on Job, John, and the boom that hit him today as we looked at, the boom that's going to hit him next time. My thoughts, as I was listening to you, instantly turned to Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, you know, ultimately we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against those spiritual forces of darkness and he talks about the armor that we have. And there's a key word in that passage that we'll be able to stand and stand and stand. And he repeats that word stand four or five times. But every one of those pieces of armor is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the sword of truth, the shield of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peace. Every aspect of that armor is the person of God and who he longs to be to us. And I really believe, as I was listening to you, Job may not have known Christ in terms of the finished work, a Messiah, Redeemer, Restorer, but he did know God. And God functioned as that spiritual armor to him. In knowing God, he was spiritually equipped to stand. And John, I just marvel looking at him, as you pointed out today. He lost all those kids, all those possessions. Nowhere in that text do we see anger against God, cursing against God. He simply stands his ground on the character of the God that he knows. Yeah, and that's huge. It is indeed. Well, my friend, I'm going to wrap up with just a, a couple of thoughts focused at the, some of the folks who have perhaps had pasts as I have had, where Satan was elevated to a higher position than he truly is in Scripture. 
If you're still involved in a body where Satan is your primary enemy, please realize that Satan is on a leash. He doesn't know the future. He cannot act or do anything unless God gives him permission. And he can do only what God allows him to do. His power, even though it's great, is throttled by God's purposes. So don't buy those stories about the devil stealing your healing or doing this or doing that. When suffering comes into your life, it's because your father has part of the hedge and the king of the universe has allowed it for his purpose. All right, my friend, wrap us up. I guess I would close with the words of Asaph, who went through a struggle of his own. It was not a physical struggle, but it was certainly an emotional struggle. And, you know, John, over the years of ministry, I think you might agree with me in many times, many cases, an emotional struggle is worse than a physical struggle. Oh, yes. I'd rather have uh, the physical than the emotional. The soul can be in such torment. And Asaph was in torment as he looked at a very unfair world. But he received a revelation of who God is, that God is on the throne, that he's going to make things right. And what Asaph chooses to say at the end is, who do I have in heaven but you, O God? Which is a great statement, yeah. but then an even greater one. Who do I have on earth but you, O God? Yeah. And the implication of that is, and you, O God, are enough. That's right. Thank you, my friend. And thank you, friends, for listening to the podcast today. We invite you to check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of resources there designed to steer you toward the incredible truth of Christ as your very life. Check out all of our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel. Like and subscribe. Ring that bell so you get a notification whenever I put something else up there. And as we close, we remind you, the same reminder we have from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope. It's a blessed hope, Paul told Titus. And Frank and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose that hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you in you and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.